0: Talking football with the Silver Fox, Eric Alpers. So, very good day. Welcome to our podcast. Uh, and today, Eric, uh, unfortunately, not well. So, wherever you might be listening, Eric, uh, get well soon. We're missing you, and uh, obviously. Look forward to your voice coming back to our podcast ASAP. Well, needless to say, uh, the dilemma for me is how do I present the pet podcast now? Because things normally are very different. And I do like to have another voice with me because I think it's good for the listener. So uh, without any further ado, I will introduce Barbara Ann, who's joined me today. And Barbara, first of all, thank you for stepping in at the last minute.
1: It's a pleasure, Vince. No problems. Hello, everybody.
0: Okay. Now, I thought it would be quite nice and quite interesting for people to get a Um, a lady's perspective on football as part of what we're doing today. So, let me just put a couple of markers down. First of all, we've got uh, three strapping boys who all grew up absolutely uh, mad keen on football. They love their football club, Liverpool. Uh, Did I make them watch Liverpool? No, I don't think I did, really. So... uh, Put me right, did I make them like Liverpool? No,
1: no, 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 they loved uh, playing football from a very, very early age, like most boys, I would say, a majority of boys, in in the road, in the park, at school, Uh, they were all in school teams, um, so no, and of course, with us coming from near Liverpool, um, it was just a natural thing that Dad uh, supported Liverpool, I would think, like most families, whatever the father supports, or the mother, I should say, as well, uh, the kids tend to follow in that fashion. Uh, I think it's just a natural course of events.
0: Okay, well, let's go to uh, Mum, because your mum was a rabid Liverpudlian. She was. She she loved her Liverpool. And uh, when it came to Christmases and birthdays, uh, what was the usual thing that she'd try and buy for them with, you, you know, uh, um, with what they enjoyed in mind?
1: Always, always. Uh, we were living down in Cornwall then, but even before when we were living on the Wirral, um, it was always a Liverpool shirt or a Liverpool pyjamas or Liverpool socks with pyjamas or a hat. But the theme was Liverpool.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, we then come to... Uh, games when your mum would be watching Liverpool and be sitting down and certain players, I would be Not more or less making the statement that I wasn't enjoying what they were doing at the time. What was she like?
1: Well, if you criticised any, any of the football, of any of the players of Liverpool, she would go absolutely bonkers with you, say they're, uh, they're, they'll are they get there in the end, they're, we're going to win. And she was so happy when we used to win um, a lot, a lot of the games. And she used to say, there you are, Vince, they've won again, they've won again.
0: Well, 17s and 80s, is, you know, the halcyon days yeah. um, were a long way away from what we're enjoying now. And we are enjoying absolutely wonderful moments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example... Uh, I'm torn between the three as to who is probably the biggest fan still, but I think by a, by certainly quite a way, Andrew would be the one who yeah. is the probably the most outrageous <laughs> as yeah. as a fan, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Andrew's the middle son, uh, our second son, and he uh, lives in Spain like they all do, but he works in an environment of a lot of um, Madrellanian supporters, and he has to battle... Um, every time Liverpool are playing with, uh, not criticism, but um, what's the word when you... uh Banter. Banter, banter at work. So if we do lose, he says, oh, I've got to go into work tomorrow to to face them all again. But, um, you know, to be fair, that the last four finals that we've been in, and we've won two, um, his colleagues have been very, very good, really. They said that even... Uh, when we when we did when we lost at Madrid, the final. Um, they said that Madrid were lucky. Uh, they thought even that um, Liverpool were a better team on the l- l-
0: Let me just set this as a, as a, a sort of picture because, uh, obviously, we've got listeners from all around the world. Now this is uh, Andrew, who was born. Within spitting distance of uh, Liverpool, really. I mean, you know, a short car ride, and we'd be at the ground. So obviously, we've taken all the the boys back when they were younger, shown them the ground, done the tour, that sort of thing. Now, uh, the other week, of course, we were playing a semi-final of the Champions League, and we were playing it uh, up near Castellon. Uh, so, of course, uh, we had to play against a Spanish team. Andrew had to go into work, you know. He
1: works in Castellan.
0: So, uh, <laughs> roughly speaking, he had a very difficult semi-final. Um, but it made his day when he met uh, Michael Owen and Steve McManimum yeah. in a hotel. Yeah. Now, yeah. Andrew is now an executive, so, of course, he can walk the stage with uh, the best um, because, basically, he's a very good business person. But, of course, mm-hmm. the thing that I try and do with the podcasts all the time is I try and explain in a roundabout way sometimes how much football influences everything we do. My suspicion has been that a lot of the pandemic has either been uh, weathered because of the way football has been there or uh, some of it has been, uh, you know, from conspiracy theorists, part of the whole plan, keeping everybody engaged in football. So, of course, we have our son as we play the first game and then we get the final and we're playing against Real Madrid. Now, for those people that don't live in Spain... Uh, you won't know how difficult it can be for an English person who's got to go into his office where the sp- what was Andrew like when he when he was telling us about this?
1: Uh, well the, the first thing was um, his best friend from university um, who is an avid Liverpool supporter now lives in Ireland uh, with his Irish wife and all his uncles live in and cousins live in Liverpool, and they've got a season ticket for Liverpool, and they go to every um, away uh, fixture with his with his male uh, family. Anyway, because we've been in four finals, it's cost <laughs> the family quite a lot of money to go to Paris and to go to, as I say, uh, Castillon, and the actual team were called Villa Real which were quite which are quite low in the uh, in the uh, in the league aren't they in la,
0: well no one the one of the one of the better la liga teams in actual fact their manager is very good at yeah. negotiating and navigating their way through the champions yeah. league plus uh, links with the Liverpool, they are actually called the Yellow Submarines.
1: Yes, the, the the nickname is the Yellow Submarines, but it's quite a small place. It's about thirty thousand people. About thirty thousand people. And Andrew said to his friend that was coming over, "Oh, we're we going to have any trouble and blah blah." And he says, "No, you'll meet the most friendliest people there because they're so happy that they're actually in the semi-final." Well, apparently after the game, um, the Spanish people were shaking the Liverpool fans and saying congratulations and Ruben couldn't believe how friendly and how supportive they were and they were wishing us all the best against Madrid Because I think a lot of Spanish have Madrid or Barcelona as their favorites And I think in this situation uh, they would prefer Liverpool to win so it, it all turned out really well and uh, Andrew went into work and uh, he had his Liverpool shirt on. <laughs> mm. So he's very, very happy, very happy.
0: Okay, let me just play the jingle I would normally be playing. It's talking football with the Silver Fox, Eric Bobbs. Now, normally at ten thirty on Wednesday morning, I pick the phone up, and always at the other end of the phone is Eric. Um, Eric, unwell at the moment, but I know he's likely to be listening to the podcast. And obviously, um, from both uh, Barbara and myself, we do wish you well, uh, Eric, and uh, obviously we want you back on the podcast as soon as possible. So um, let me just uh, look next at the history of women's soccer. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because we have uh, the Euros uh, for the ladies in England this coming uh, year, uh, this year. And uh, basically then we've got the World Cups and so, you know, we've got big events. And I thought it would be interesting for some of our male counterparts and listeners who maybe don't know some of the background of women's soccer. Towards the end of the 1880s, many women across the United Kingdom were playing soccer, and women's soccer was gaining um, a lot of popularity, with matches being organised across the country, much to the dismay of many men. Now, soccer back then was much more violent and physical uh, than it is today. I think um, you only have to look back to the likes of uh, Billy Bremner and the Leeds team Um, uh, during the 60s. You'll soon know what I mean. Uh, But many people horrified that women at that time would choose to get involved in such a masculine sport. Women's matches would often spark riots with um, pitch invasions a frequent occurrence. So, you know, we think these sort of problems uh, act in isolation, but you've you've got quite a bit of evidence there that um, we have these problems in society. Uh, Of course, we're a bit worried now that, you know, pitch invasions uh, have started to become a little bit more commonplace again towards the end of the season. Um, So uh, the ladies footballers, uh, one of the first ever women's soccer teams, felt the full force of the resistance. In 1881, Helen Graham Matthews. Uh, now, we don't know these names. and I don't think you will either, Anne. Um, but, I mean, if, I, if I'm if i misjudging you, please shout out. Okay. Uh, she founded one of the first female teams. It was known as Mrs. Uh, Graham's Eleven, based in Edinburgh. And that's Scotland, of course, for our listeners around the world. And uh, players in her squad often had to hide behind false names to avoid the targeted backlash that women's soccer players had to endure at the time. The first significant match attracted a crowd in thousands, but it had hastily called off in the 55th minute when unruly spectators entered the soccer field. Unfortunately, the team didn't recover from this soccer match, which attracted some callous media coverage. Okay, so my quick question to you now is, what was it like at your school, which was, of course, a lot later... W- did anybody play football in the girls' no, schools?
1: No, we. Were, I was in a girls' school, uh, a, a girls only. Sorry, and uh, we had a fence uh, in the playground, and on the other side of the school, it was all boys. So, yes, I used to often see lots of boys playing football in the. But we never did. It was usually uh, maybe te- tennis or just playing around, really. But definitely, definitely no football. Definitely. <sighs>
0: Okay, and of course, going back to the 90s, uh, when I went down to Cornwall College, it was difficult teaching the girls. I mean, I was able to do it. I was a member of staff in the uh, sports department at Cornwall College, but I did have some resistance from uh, other people. Within the college. Anyway, we'll go next to Nettie Honeyball, which is a lovely name, and a second ladies' soccer team was formed over a decade later. Now we're back to 1894, so we're talking a long time ago. This team was named the British Ladies FC and was founded by Nettie Honeyball. Uh, she also captained the side, building a loyal squad of almost 30 players. Some of the public showed interest in the soccer team, finding them amusing, while others saw it as a threat to the masculinity of the game. In 1895, she organised an inter-squad match, advertising the sale of tickets to the general public. The idea that women would be making a profit from soccer matches enraged many men uh, because, um, I mean, sorry, there's a lot of masochism and sexism. However, the game went ahead and more than 10,000 people filled the stands. Many more spectators were said to have been turned away at the gates. Over the next couple of years, the women's soccer team. Um, continued to play exhibition matches until the side was forced to disband due to lack of funds. However, interest in the women's soccer game didn't seem to falter. Women's soccer saw a resurgence 20 years later and quickly became popular again. Around the time of the First World War, men's leagues were stopped as the soldiers went off to battle. In their absence, women decided to organise their matches, primarily to raise money for the soldiers. And on Boxing Day 1920, a match between Dick Kerr Ladies and St. Helen Ladies took place. And the game was held at what was then, um, or now at this moment, Everton Football Club. And guess how many people turned up? 20,000? Well, there were lots of big crowds in those days. 53,000 spectators turned up to this one. So, I mean, that just shows you that there was interest. Um, It doesn't tell you whether it's males or females mainly. Um, At least 10,000 more were turned away from the game. And the match was forever marked as a milestone in the women's game. Not only was it one of the biggest turnouts for a women's match... But it also triggered the banning of women's soccer. Now we heard about this fairly recently because there was the um, it, it was the anniversary of somebody who was involved in it that had died. Do you remember seeing this on the TV a couple of weeks ago? Uh, no,
1: <clears throat> no, I can't remember. No.
0: I mean, do you, does it does it surprise <clears throat> you that the women should be banned from playing football?
1: Very much so. I mean, it's another sport, isn't it? I mean. <laughs> when you think uh, women can wrestle, they can box, uh, which I don't like either, but uh, they do it. You know, all the, s- all the uh, sports in Olympics are, you know, quite strenuous and uh, competing with men or, ga- you know, alongside men. So why should football be any different? I mean, they play cricket, uh, pol- e- ev- every game, hockey, mm. exactly. Rugby. Uh, rugby so why the resistance um for the for a girl not to play football it, it just amazes me really
0: okay so we'll we'll move on a little bit and um we we'll just see about the crowd numbers obviously at this um, football match we'd been talking about, caused a lot of tribulation. Rumours began to spread that women were getting paid to play soccer. The idea that women could play soccer professionally caused public outrage, especially among the men. In 1921, the Football Association of England, that's the FA, as you'd always expect the FA once there's money involved, uh, they banned women from playing soccer and having access to club facilities. They deemed that the game was unsuitable for females and should not be encouraged. The ban completely crushed women's soccer. It took an astonishing 50 years for the ban to be finally lifted. In 1971, the same year that the ban ended, the first National Cup for Women, known as the Mitre Challenge Cup, was held in England. And the competition later marched on into what is known as the Women's FA Cup. And since the ban ended, women's soccer has continued to grow exponentially. There are currently 29 million women and girls playing soccer matches worldwide, with this number set to increase. Um, right. So what do you think then of what you see before you today? I mean, globally, there are 176 national teams. So does show you that it's it, it's not just one particular um, area and several women's professional leagues that continue uh, to strengthen in the United Kingdom. Um, and the viewing figures for the Women's Super League are set to shoot up by more than 350% annually, uh, thanks to all the broadcasting in the 2021-2022. And um, so my question then is, uh, when you maybe have heard, and we go to one particular well-documented or noted um, lady that phoned into the radio station, and um, she was... having a go at me for talking about football and I was saying well it's it's where it sits in society you know you can't ignore it by all means you if you want to ignore it that's your choice but you know no matter whether you ignore it or anybody else ignores it is still massive business and uh, obviously um I think you can probably see why I'm get so excited you know the family get excited about it but you can see whole towns and cities what did you think of the the um the the two trophy parades that we saw the the liverpool one with the two cups the carabao and the fa cup i mean what did you think of that when you saw it well
1: i couldn't i couldn't believe how long it was and also um, where they went they didn't just go to the center of liverpool they went in all the outs well outskirts as in uh, the surrounding area of Liverpool and I think it was about two and a half hours actually going slowly round because um, obviously people all all the people couldn't get into the centre of Liverpool but I just thought that was fantastic that uh, they would bother to do that and when they actually arrived to nearly the centre it was just oh it was unbelievable you know um, I'm really happy for them and when people say oh you know they lost two well they were still in the final of four cups which is incredible and also they won two of them so I think it was a fantastic season. Oh, it
0: was a fantastic I think I, I think really uh, it, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek when people are criticising because w- when you think w- we lost by one goal
1: exactly. and we, and we, lost and and we only point. lost by
0: one point so it's, I mean the thing is yeah. y- you know uh, I'm a uh, I've got to say, I've said it. I've, I've said all the time. Every time we see Manchester City, yeah. I like the way Manchester City yeah. play and it, and I tell people that, don't yeah. I?
1: But but the, just to to um, uh, to have a go at only losing by one point for the Premiership, I think uh, is a bit sort of uh, jealousy, really, and uh, to make out that they're the. the They are good and fantastic, but uh, we were just right behind them. So I think it was just somebody had to win. And unfortunately, it wasn't Liverpool.
0: Now, looking on on a a negative now, we we have a friend who is a rabid Manchester United fan. Just to put uh, people in the picture, uh, we obviously, um, you know, with it being an international game. So we're talking about somebody who was born in Wales lives here in Spain and obviously is a big Manchester United fan. And when the season started last year and you saw the money that was being ploughed in, when Ronaldo was signed, I thought, practically game, set and match. I can't see Manchester United not competing at the top. And we watched their games. We saw the captain Maguire getting himself into trouble in, uh, I think it was, Greece somewhere, something like that, one of the islands. Um, We saw the team sort of deteriorating. We saw managers coming in. We saw managers sacked. We saw new managers coming in. Um, I mean, it's been rotten for the likes of Dave and um, our other friends who are Manchester United fans.
1: Well, as far as I can see, it's never been the same since Ferguson left. It's never been the same team. And I think uh, they tried to bring Ronaldo or they did brought Ronaldo in thinking he was going to be their saviour. And it just hasn't worked out like that. I mean, apparently it's been the worst season for many, many years, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. Now, we're not going to do any names or pack drills with the next thing I'm going to talk about, which is basically uh, we're, we're living in an age of a social media now. And of course... You've got um messages going right round the the world over the internet, uh people saying I hate X team or Y team or you know writing down things which aren't really nice to anybody. And unfortunately, um you know, I'm never gonna stop anything like this, but I think I'm fair. I'm fairly okay to comment with it. I think that if you don't like a team, you don't have to hate a team. I don't understand, you you know, where anybody comes from. I think uh, for anybody that, for example, uh, is associated with our team, if they tell me that they hate Manchester United, what I would immediately say is, as a a child, I I actually started off as a Man United fan. Uh, When 1958, uh, was it, the uh, Munich uh, tragedy struck, And um, many of us as schoolboys were horrified at what happened. And then later we read that the likes of Liverpool lent players to Manchester United to finish their season. So I think, um, you know, very often you you can see that uh, if you're not careful, you can lose what is a good thing and let it become a bad thing by maybe your team not winning whatever the trophy you're going for.
1: Yeah, but... Um, I, I guess i get annoyed when i hear somebody say you know if we're watching the game in a pub for instance because we can't get home or we're with friends and the the shouting at the television you know really really badly nothing to do with racism just about the whole the team and i think you know you're not a, you're not a, f- a fan of football um uh, talking about our friend who's a man united we often watch a game with him which are neither team at Liverpool or Man United, and you and he and you are, are commenting very sort of uh, c- uh, you know clearly and say, oh, that was a good game and, and appreciating good football, but these fans that have it sort of a horrible uh, thing about other teams, I just I, I can never understand that. If you're a true football fan you can appreciate good football from any team, no matter who they are, but you still support, uh, top of the list, your own team. But you don't say hateful things about other teams because they're people, they're, they're just other footballers. I can't understand it.
0: It doesn't seem to appear, or at least if I haven't seen it, um, I hope it doesn't uh, appear. I don't think we've got this in the ladies' game at the moment. I, I, I don't really think I've seen anything like that. Um, but I'll just say that, you know, even here in Spain, I've had to uh, really be very careful about um, holding my own temper over things that have been shouted when we're, we're watching the games, um, in a you know, pub, in, in, a in, a bu- in a pub. In a pub. Okay, well, look. Thanks for joining me. Um, can,
1: I, can I just say one thing about the ladies? Yes, um, please do. Uh, we, we've watched uh, quite a few ladies' uh, games in the in the last year, and um, I think Man City have won or or Chelsea. Well, anyway, whatever. But when you're actually watching it, they're absolutely fantastic. Their football skills and their techniques are. Uh, well, I can't say not as good, but very, very close behind boys, or men, I should say. And um, I, I think long may it go on, because uh, I think if you have daughters, for instance, like we had sons, but if we did have a daughter who loves football, um, obviously you'd go and support her at the football game and, uh, and do as much as you can for her. Well, we so we I can't see why the difference has been like this for many years until, obviously, the last... 10 years or Well, one
0: of the, one of the gla- grandchildren used to love to come up, and we'd have a kick around, and she'd go in coal. Yeah. And I mean, very often I wasn't holding back because she was a good goalkeeper. She was good, And she yeah. didn't moan at all. She, you know, she, she if if maybe it, it hit hit her hands, uh, you know, she didn't do anything that showed you that yeah. she was anything other than somebody playing in goal. You know, if, so
1: I think if a girl wants to play football and has got that uh, passion about football, just carry on because don't stop them because. As I say, it's just another sport. Uh, Girls play every other sport, so it's silly to single out football.
0: Okay, just before you go, there is something that I'll get you to look at with me because we've got a very, very expensive new player, Liverpool, which I'll tell you about. Let me just put a little bit of music on and I'll get that screen up. Okay, now it's going to be interesting to get your thoughts on this because Liverpool have reached an agreement with Benfica uh, ahead of an 85 million pound move to uh, for Darwin Nunes. Uh, he's a Uruguayan from South America, obviously. Uh, he's scored 34 goals in 41 games for the Portuguese side last season. And he's uh, obviously being talked about as part of this evolving uh, Liverpool attack. Uh, I'm reading from one of the websites. It began with the 40 million pound edition of Diogo uh, Jota in 2020, and then of course Luis Diaz, who came in at 49 million last January. Uh, now, this guy's come in at £85 million. So, uh, Jurgen Klopp is overseeing a process of renewal. His early successes, of course, have come with Mohamed Salah and uh, Sadio Mane, either side of Roberto Firmino. But all three players are now 30-ish. Um, and they could maybe, well, maybe another year, maybe two years. But, I mean, we don't know for sure. Um, more, uh, Mane definitely, I think, is will be out uh, very quickly. Bayern Munich have offered silly money at the moment. So, if they up the money, and um, because he's not going to go if this guy's coming in at uh 89 million, then Marney's proved himself. I mean, he, he's a very, very good player, um, got a great attitude, a lovely guy that um, sends money back home to Senegal where he comes from. Um, but when you look at um, goals scored, this is for the new guy, Nunez. He's had 39 shots on target, which puts him as uh, number five in his league. Um, and then you, you get all this, all these statistics broken down. But we've looked at um, this business of how much they get paid. Now, um, I go on about this. And very often, you know, I feel, oh my goodness, you know, the guys don't seem to uh, want to ever criticise enough the fact that somebody is getting £350,000 a week. What do you think, um, you know, in the light of maybe the way you see the world, what do you think of that as a weekly wage for, say, Salah, 350000 a week?
1: <clears throat> well, I don't like it. I mean, uh, I don't like it at all. But I'd still, uh, we have discussions about this and what I feel, but I don't think it's the footballer's fault. It's the promoter, their agents getting that money and also Sky Television. And there's lots of other factors why they get that money because they want uh, people to watch Sky, Sky and all that. And but uh, I still think it's ridiculous money. Um, but just very quickly, um, our friend's uh, grandson is actually on the books. Um, he's he's been on he's been in the academy uh, for three years, and he's just been taken on wi- uh, for another two years as a paid um, apprentice professional uh, professional, professional yeah. uh, till he's, yeah. til he's 18, 18, for Tottenham. Now I don't know exactly how much he's getting, but he is getting a wage. He's getting free accommodation, free food, and his um, schooling there. He lives away from home. He lives near the near Tottenham, um, and good luck to him. I mean, he is a fantastic footballer. I've, we've we've seen we've known him since he was six, and he was playing football, you know, at six. Okay, let so, me get let me get you, know, you back though. You just can't.
0: Let me get you back to the question I put to you. It was a hundred. Three hundred and fifty thousand pound yeah. a week. Now you often, and others have said the same. Oh yes, but tax is taken out of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. They don't get three hundred. I know it's a silly amount of money. I know. and I know. We'll never agree on this. But say, for instance, they end up with two hundred thousand. It's still a lot of money per week. When when somebody, an executive, or even you know, anybody with a really good job gets that for
0: one year's work well look look, look at the average player uh, the uh, the or the average wage uh, say you've got an average wage of about 30,000 30, a week yeah. a week now the fact that uh, he's getting 350,000 the fella on 30,000 gets taxed as well
1: mm.
0: but it's proportionate to the amount that's yeah. that's in there if you've got 350 okay we'll go along with 200,000 maybe you, you agree. But but you think about that. You only need to be fairly sensible, and if you put aside, say, a hundred, half of that, I mean, you're set up for the rest of your I life know. after I, half a dozen games. I
1: know, I know. I, I don't agree when they say they have a short, um, short um, career. Life, yeah. Short career. Uh, I don't believe that because, I mean, if you start, say, for instance, you go professional at 18, and you you play till you're 34, for instance, like Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo's about 34, that's a hell of a long time to accrue the amount of money that they're getting. I mean, if, as you say, if they're sensible, they don't go gambling like uh, some of them have done, uh, you know, and lose money. If they put the money into houses, businesses, they should be absolutely multi by the time they're 30-odd.
0: Uh, and the other aspect of some of the behavior i mean we've got certain players who are still going through court so we won't go won't give you a name but we will tell you that there's one particular player i think there are the latest count was six counts of rape yeah that's
1: disgusting i mean they've got that privilege absolute privilege to either to to um, play football for their team have that sort of money and wage given to them and they can't behave themselves. I just, I'm absolutely disgusted. I mean, there's no, um, there's no question that I would just write them off the books. No second chances. No, no, not at all. You know, it's just you've you've crossed the line, and that's it. I'm sorry.
0: Okay, look, I'm going to give you some detail, and uh, then we can see what you think of this. Uh, as I'm reading from one of the websites today, and this is about an Everton takeover report and uh, Peter Kenyon is uh, the guy, uh, the Chelsea chief executive officer, um, is uh, trying to buy Everton with a consortium. So, I'm reading, uh, they've remained tight-lipped over suggestions that have been targeted for a surprise takeover bid just days after Fahad Mashiri reaffirmed his commitment to the club. Um, But, I mean, uh, just if we're looking at, say, the likes of Everton... Um, you know, as Liverpoolians, we don't, we don't, maybe it's just us, but we don't want Everton to do badly. We just don't want them to beat Liverpool. So when we see now that, you know, they've got problems in the management of the club, What is uh, obviously more of a worry is the fact that when you get all these clubs being bought now, um, you you know, Chelsea have just been bought for this massive uh, amount of millions of pounds. And um, yet there were, uh, this was an American owner coming in, and yet there were two Uh, The Candy Brothers, who'd earned their money in Britain, they were both massive Chelsea fans and yet the government decide that this American is the person that they're going to give the ownership of the club to. Uh, Does it ever cross your mind about things like this or is it something that women don't particularly think about?
1: Well, again, you know, I, I don't feel sorry for um, a manager who gets sacked because they're, they've they got a contract and they might come out with a couple of million, you know, even if they've only been with the club a year or s- less than six months. I've got absolutely no sympathy for anything like that because uh, they'll never be out of a job and they'll never be short for cash. But um, going back to Everton and Liverpool, I don't know whether it's the only team, but I can remember when I was a kid that uh, we had... Liv- uh, Everton and Liverpool uh, supporters, you know, and the family and friends, and they would go to Liverpool's game. They would go to Everton's game. They would sit next to Liverpool, that, you know, and Everton people. And I don't know whether that's the norm in any other city. Like, I don't know whether Man City and Man United fans are like that, but they are like that in Liverpool. I know, t- obviously, there's some that don't agree. Uh, you know, they are Liverpool or Everton fans solely. But in general, um, we've always said, haven't we? We've always said we want Liverpool, uh, Everton to do as well, but in a joke, you know, one one point behind uh, Liverpool, and I would imagine an Everton supporter would say exactly the same. We we want Liverpool to do well as long as they're one point behind us. So it's a bit sort of, it's it's a city of. Uh, everyone wants everyone to get on. Well, it's like the it. first
0: question. If I meet somebody from uh, the Liverpool area, the the question I always ask them is, red or blue? Mm. And I don't need to say anymore because they'll smile or they'll, you know, agree or they'll give me enough information to let me know where to pitch the conversation. And the, the same is true of uh, the football here. I mean, if I say to somebody, um, you know, what's your team? And they tell me uh, Barcelona, I immediately say, yeah, but I'm the same. I, I like Barcelona, you know, and I immediately relate to the fact that they've got a few Liverpool players that have gone to Barcelona. And then if I meet somebody down the road who's from Real Madrid, um, yeah, yeah, I love Real Madrid. Real Madrid, you know, I start telling them I'm a Real Madrid fan. because we've got Liverpool players that have gone to Real Madrid. So I think really uh, a lot of this nonsense is caused by people who obviously just, um, they're bigoted. I mean, I, I don't really know which way um, you can describe it otherwise. Bigoted, I think, is the only way I'm going to look and, at
1: it. And I also think it spoils it for other people because they are a minority. I mean, um, all this um, sort of fighting outside the grounds and everything at Paris was, uh, not fighting, uh, the police actually attacking ordinary uh, families with, um, what was it? Um, tear gas. Tear gas. It was absolutely disgusting. I mean, I'm trying to say that they were, un- we, we had, I say, this friend who goes from, comes from Ireland, he was there. And he said, we were just walking in, and then suddenly they just started spraying the stuff.
0: Well, the, the, the police and the French authorities have now uh, told major. everybody that uh, they had made mistakes. Mm. Uh, they uh, very quickly were there to blame Liverpool, but now everybody can see there were only two major ways this could go. One was either the French authorities were inept or... Or there was a political, um, you know, we'll have a go at uh, England because of Brexit and because it's Liverpool. Um, No, uh, unfortunately, Liverpool picks up the rap uh, when, unfortunately... Uh, for those that don't know of things I've done in the past, I remember when I was in France in the 80s on the radio and people were asking me about the English hooligans because of what happened um, at the... Uh, uh, what that, what stadium? Heisel, was it? Stadium? Oh, no, 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 it was, it was to do with Heisel, that one. Um, OK, I'm going to change tack, so let me just rearrange my uh, studio just a little bit and we're back in a second. Okay so uh, Barbara Ann is about to leave the building so thank you for joining us today
1: Okay Vince, that was lovely enjoy that uh, bye everybody have a have a nice day bye <laughs>
0: Okay, so uh, we've been talking uh, in previous weeks with Eric about um, various personalities and the amounts of money that uh, people have now got to spend. We knew that the floodgates would open, but uh, Eddie Howe up in Newcastle, um, headline, Eddie Howe unwilling to pay Newcastle tax and offers take it or leave it ultimatum. So let's find out uh, what this is all about. So, this was uh, all about the Magpies, who, of course, Newcastle United thought they'd agreed a £30 million transfer deal with Lille for the Dutch defender. Um, What was his name again? Let me just see if I can uh, refresh my memory. Um, um, No, they're not giving me the name here. It's... um, Sorry about this, but um, it was in the, co- the the Telegraph where I first saw this. Um, they've been told that a Newcastle tax is being applied uh, to their potential deals because, of course, they became the richest club in the world last year. Um, because of the wealth, uh, clubs are increasingly uh, asking prices, which is making it a lot harder for Newcastle to um, to compete, and now uh, Newcastle have issued a take it or leave it offer over this particular deal. Um, you see, uh, the, the original offer was 30 million, meaning that if Lille didn't get back uh, and obviously accept uh, then to go and ask for an extra six million um then obviously the magpies are going to look elsewhere uh, they of course are trying to cash in on this newfound wealth and um i can understand this for eddie howe a young manager who's taken on a very difficult role uh, beginning to do very well already at the end or towards the end of last year um Uh, Reading further down in this article, Newcastle ensure they don't get ripped off. It's almost certainly ended the chances of signing Dominic Calvert-Lewin from Everton, who we were just talking about, who might be subject to a takeover. Um, They're going to be holding out for uh, £60 And there's a similar price tag slapped on uh, Richarlison too. Now, I always wonder, you know, how it is that um, all these clubs can be expected to just shed all the best players and manage to get a new team together and start the new season. Um, they manage to do it, it seems to be. But, I mean, realistically, surely it just means that those teams with the most money... Uh, They're most likely to keep doing well. And those clubs who basically don't have much money to spend, um, they'll get towards the uh, end of the season once again and they'll be fighting probably relegation. Okay, uh, I can't do an awful lot about these things. All I can do is make my comments and um, let's see, what will I do next? We'll go to a little bit of music and then... um I'll come back with my next topic. I don't know if you're like me, Uh, I like to listen to the pundits, especially those that were good players. Um, I do like to watch them and see uh, at times just how off the beaten track they are with some of their views. Great players, not maybe the best thinkers, but... um, I do like Rio Ferdinand, ex, of course, England defender, Manchester United uh, central midfielder. And he's accused Liverpool now of being disloyal to Steven Gerrard by allowing them him to leave for the LA Galaxy at the end of his career. Uh, Gerrard came through the Melwood Academy. That's the Liverpool Academy, which, of course, has been upgraded since the days that he was there. He made his debut as an 18-year-old, went on to represent... Uh, Our team on more than 700 occasions playing pivotal roles in winning not only the FA Cup, but the Champions League, of course. And uh, through uh, the Premier League seasons, the one title he wasn't able to get to uh, was, of course, um, (laughs) the Premier League title. Although anybody from anywhere in the Premier League will always tell you that he was one of the greatest players in the Premier League After 17 years on Merseyside, the club captain was allowed to leave for the United States, joining the LA Galaxy in the um, States, of course, having not been offered a new deal by Liverpool. And Ferdinand, using the time his former England international teammate flirted with the idea of joining them, uh, recently acquired Chelsea, uh, of course, uh, ultimately got, uh, when he was flirting with Chelsea, he decided to stay put. Uh, But he's claiming now that the Reds didn't give him the loyalty that he once showed them. I I don't really understand, really, why this comes out now, um, because, you know, Stephen Gerrard would have been making his own decisions, quite rightly. You know, I would imagine, like everybody else, he would probably thought, well, it wouldn't be a bad idea to actually go abroad like David Beckham has gone abroad and done particularly well. Um, Anyway, he decided to stay, didn't go to Chelsea, uh, went to Rangers, did pretty well up there. But then again, there's not much of a challenge, really. And now, of course, he is managing at Aston Villa. And, um, you know, um, I should think Liverpool will certainly consider him. Um, But he's saying that Liverpool should have offered him a player-coach contract, uh, and grooming him to become the club's future manager, uh, you don't know this might already be in place. Um, we can only speculate. I, I have no idea because um, you know we're not privy to these things, but um, yeah, i I wonder why these things come out now. What's the idea? Now I'm sure somebody's going to come up with uh, something that they've not read properly, and uh, we put the record straight before anybody um, gets uh, confused. That we did have a player. Um, we had a guy called uh, Darwin Nunez. Um, younger supporters won't remember, but the um, the, the Spaniard uh, was signed by Rafa Benitez. Uh, he was arguably not obviously one of the best players ever, um, but it's just something that might well crop up. And, um, <laughs> just in case anybody comes in with a question, um, no, he, uh, there's the somebody with the same name has, um, Had played for Liverpool. Harry came next and uh, he is continuing to work with fellow national team captains. So let's see what this is all about. Okay, so Harry Kane is continuing to work with fellow national team captains. This is a collaborative approach to making a stand against human rights issues in Qatar. Um, It's a pity that they've left it that uh, they didn't do all this at the time that um, the bids were going in. Accusations over the treatment of migrant workers and a poor record of human rights have plagued the Gulf state since it was controversially awarded. Uh, the winter finals back in 2010. World Cup organisers uh, organisers insist there have been actually three work-related deaths amid reports of many more since the construction of the majority of the stadiums began. Now, I remember reading all about that. England's boss, Gareth Southgate, previously said it is a great shame that sections of three-line supporters will not travel to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup and stressed that no one was complacent about the issues involved. Well, I'm sorry, uh, Gareth. Uh, you know, we went through years when cricket wasn't played against South Africa because of apartheid. So, you know... You're happy to go to a country or at least you're going to a country uh, with a set of players who could have actually turned around and said, no, we're not going to. And campaign for other teams, maybe um, to come up with the same sort of support um, before we got away to the um, to the actual date in Qatar. OK, um, I've got things that are happening on my screen. So let me just see if I can get what I want to get and we'll... Um, Regular listeners to the podcast will know by now, hopefully, that um, Eric is not with me and um, hopefully we'll be back ASAP. Eric, I know that you might be listening to the podcast later today. We're all thinking about you and obviously look forward to your return Now, we go to Derby County next, which, of course, was one of the big clubs in the UK. Uh, still is a a big club physically and one that can come back uh, probably to the Premier League at some future date. And um, it's understood that the administrators of Quantuma uh, have seen proof of funds from at least five groups who still want to buy Derby County. The English Football League says it must be involved in sale talks, backup funding could be made available if the takeover process suffers prolonged delays. Um, you might remember that the club had um, been again demoted because of financial irregularities and Wayne Rooney, Um, Although his name had been linked with Manchester United as a possible, um, you know, management role somewhere, um, he decided he wanted to stay with Derby County. Derby's administrators have confirmed American businessman Chris Kirchner has pulled out of the deal. Concerns over the club's future have mounted since the guy, Kirchner, who exchanged contracts committing to buy the club on May the 16th failed to transfer the necessary cash before the Friday deadline. The EFL then uh, had written uh, to the administrators, Quantuma, expressing real concerns, um, of course, that Derby will not be able to field a t- team, risking the integrity of the competition. Sky Sports News understands that Kirchner's withdrawal has become uh, it came as a shop, apparently, to the AFL and Quantuma, both of whom had been given reassurances as recently as Sunday that he was determined to complete the sale. Uh, he had again shown proof of funds to both parties. Now, th- this is well above the average person, you know, we, we don't tend to get too embroiled in these things, but... You know, when when you think about it, these administrators have got to get it right. If they don't, obviously, you know, people can come in and then within a couple of months, the club's gone out of existence um, and uh, another big name goes to the wall. A spokesperson said, we're aware that some will be concerned by the news However, the joint administrators wish to reassure the club's players and staff and supporters they're continuing to actively engage with a growing number of interested parties, each of whom have a real willingness to compete and get a deal done as soon as possible. So, for any Derby City fans, obviously, we hope that um, that comes to pass. from a rainy night in London town. You make me feel so young. It's like spring has become. You are my own. That's my friend Ronnie Harwood and uh, one of his great tracks that he sent me. And um Don't forget you can find him on the internet if you just put in Ronnie Harwood and he used to write songs for people like Shaking Stevens with success. Uh, Now Manchester United legend's uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has paid tribute to his former teammate Marcelo, or is it Marcello after his Real Madrid departure This is the guy, I think he plays fullback with the big shock of hair He's 34 year old and he's decided to seek a new challenge after 50 years at the club. Uh, the Brazilian are set to get a stunning send-off after helping them to the domestic title and the Champions League glory uh, this term of course with an official farewell ceremony planned for the day after that. this was written. Now I think, let me just see I wish they'd put the dates of these articles a lot more clearly because um, 13th of June this was written so It's today. So in that case, if you want to look at your TV set somewhere, you should find... um, Okay, Ronaldo moved to Madrid in 2009 and spent nine seasons playing alongside the wonderful um, star from Brazil. And the pair developed a strong friendship away from the pitch during their time together at the Bernabeu. Uh, Now, after Madrid officially confirmed his departure, the Portuguese forward has taken to Twitter to hail the fullback, um, Sharing a photo of him hugging the South American during the Madrid heyday, Ronaldo wrote, more than a teammate, a brother that football gave me. On and off the field, one of the biggest stars with whom I had the pleasure of sharing a locker room. Go with everything on this new adventure, Marcelo. He won five Champions League crowns at Real Madrid, four of which... Arrived when uh, Ronaldo was there, and in total a staggering twenty five trophies for Los Blancos. he arrived in two thousand and seven. Okay, uh, well, I think we we've gone about as far as we want, so we'll finish with that track from my good friend Ronnie Harwood. Uh, reminder that you can find Ronnie with his music on the internet at his website. And a final word to Eric. Eric, we're thinking of you and looking forward to getting you back safe and sound. Sitting in a Soho A rainy night in London town You make me feel so young Like spring has begun. You are my all,
1: my everything. Mediterranean blue.
0: there's never a minute goes by I don't think about you. It's something. me yeah.